us to 2 John. Second John, we're going to look at this entire letter. It's not very long. It's 13 verses. And so we're going to do 2 John today, and then next Sunday we will tackle 3 John. So give you a moment to get there, and then we'll read it. Apostle John wrote the following. He said, The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father, and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we've had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves, so that you may not lose what we've worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, may we never take it for granted that you have spoken to us as you've breathed these words out into holy men and they've been recorded for us and kept for us that, Lord, we might know you truly, Lord, that we might hear your voice speak to us today and every day of our lives, that, Lord, you would guide us and lead us, that you would take your words and sow them into our hearts and that they might bear fruit, that we might grow in our faith, that these words, Lord, would protect us, that these words would lead us in the way in which we live out our lives together in the context of a local church, or that we might honor and glorify you, that we might build one another up. And so, Lord, as we spend time in this short letter, we ask that you would use it to accomplish all of your good purposes. 
Lord, that you would bring conviction where we need conviction, that you would bring encouragement where we need to be encouraged. And so, Lord, would you pour out your spirit all are upon us all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So a couple of questions to start. These are kind of simple questions, but I was recently reading a book, um, and they kind of asked this question. It's got me, got me thinking a little bit, and the question is just this. Well, what is a Christian? And I was just curious, and I was just thinking, how, how often do you stop to think about that question? What, what is a Christian? How, how do you know that you or anybody else around you is a Christian? All of us have an answer to that question. It might not be a formal one that you've written out. It might not be a paper that you've written for some class. But, but all of us answer that question in some way. I mean, in some ways, it's, it's brought you here today. And so you have an answer to it. So how do you answer that question? What is a Christian? How do you know that you are a Christian? Some people might say that a Christian is someone who's just prayed a prayer and maybe asked Jesus into their heart. Others might say that a Christian is someone who has been saved by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. And then others might add that a Christian might be those things, and then they do these certain things. And so they do believe in Christ for their salvation, but, but they, they, they do this. They, they speak a certain way. They might parent their children a certain way. They might read their Bibles a certain way. They might read a certain version of the Bible. They might dress a certain way. They might listen to certain types of music and only that type of music. They, they are people who stay away from certain things of the world. And so we define what a Christian is in a number of ways, and you all probably have a definition in your head. So how do you define what a Christian is? How do you know that we're all moving in that same direction? We're all seeking to pick up a cross and follow Jesus. When Jesus was having dinner with his disciples before he was crucified, he made several important statements about himself and then what it means to be one of his disciples, what it means to be a follower of Christ, what it means to be a Christian. In John 14, verse 6, he said the following. He said to his disciples, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So a Christian is someone who knows the truth. Someone who knows Jesus Christ in a personal way as their Lord and Savior. They trust completely in him alone for the forgiveness of their sins and eternal life. They believe that Jesus is the Son of God, fully God and fully man, having lived a perfect life, died a sacrificial death on a cross to make propitiation for all of their sins. And their hope for eternal life is found in Him and Him alone. And earlier he said in John 13, 35, he said, By this... All people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Truth and love go hand in hand in the Christian life. 
they identify in many ways who is actually a Christian and who's not a Christian. Jesus is the truth to whom and which we believe in, and love is the fruit that flows from this faith in him. One of the ways in which we can know that we are Christians is by looking at the ways in which we consistently and faithfully interact with and treat the people in our lives. Jesus himself said, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. And so that must be pretty important, right? I mean, John, I was telling, getting mic'd up, and I told Chris back there, I said, well, we're going we're gonna to try to beat a dead horse today. And he laughed. And in some ways, what we're doing is, in, is just following what John's been trying to teach local churches and believers. And if you go back and you read through 1 John and you look at this letter that I just read, what you're going to see is that loving others is really important. Really important. That's what I mean by beating a dead horse. Is I don't, I don't know if it's a dead horse, but it's just really important that God has called us as believers to believe in Christ, to trust in Jesus. And, and Jesus himself tells us, well, this is what it looks like. It looks like my disciples genuinely loving one another, genuinely treating others in a way that would be described as loving. And so here's what we're going to learn this morning from 2 John. Since Jesus Christ is the truth that sets us free and gives us eternal life, we must love the truth and live out our lives in this truth as we seek to love one another. And we're going to dig into this by looking at four points this morning from this short little letter. In our first point, we learn that love for others is rooted and grounded in the truth. Love for others, love for one another, love for those in the local church, love for the people that God has placed in our lives is rooted and grounded in the truth. John opens this short letter with a traditional greeting that's full of truth, it's full of love, and it's full of encouragement to a local church that desperately needs it. He says this, look at me at verses 1 through 3. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. Now, John refers to himself here, if you notice, as the elder. Now, he's not the pastor of this church that he's writing to, but he was an apostle. And he was an older man at this point in his life, a man who has walked with Jesus, a man who has listened to Jesus teaching firsthand, a man who has helped plant and disciple many local churches, a man who cares deeply for Christians, a man who cares deeply for the people of God. And so he calls his readers here the elect and her children, which is referring to a church. Most likely it was a specific group of local churches and people who make up these churches. And what's key here is this word elect, that he's writing to people who have been elected or 
chosen by God to be saved. The church was not just a man-made institution. See, in these little greetings, we, we, we catch little theological truths that are meant to encourage the original readers, but as us as well. And they help to inform the way in which we think about one another as well. And so he's writing to the elect and her children. He's writing to God's people. And he wants them to know that they're God's people. He wants this local church or these local churches to know that, that they exist, not because they decided to create sort of this group of people to kind of live life together with for a season, but that they've been banded together as a local church because God has chosen to save them. God has chosen to bring them into his kingdom and form them as men and women, family, because of who Jesus Christ is. See, the church, men and women who have been eternally saved by faith alone through Jesus Christ alone is not a temporal thing that ends with this world or even with our own deaths. The church is eternal. These relationships that we have with one another, they, they last forever. They last forever. They last with one another and all the brothers and sisters around the world who have been saved by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone, and they will last for eternity. And we'll get to see that one day when Christ comes back and he brings everybody home. But this isn't something that we just created. These relationships are rooted and grounded in the truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what John wants this church to know at the outset is that he loves them. He loves them in the truth, and not just him, everybody else who is rooted and grounded in the truth, they also love this church or these, these churches and these people. And this truth that John is referring to here, it's the good news of Jesus Christ. The love that John has for the church, the people of God, it's deeply rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ. His love for them is not primarily rooted in their ethnicity or their similar interests or their strengths or their weaknesses or their wealth or their interest in politics or their reputations. I brought the politics thing because me and Ricardo talk politics. We even did that this morning. And I love talking politics with Ricardo because he informs my mind and my thinking on so much that is happening in this world. But, but that's not why I love Ricardo. And I know that's not why he loves me. And that's not why John loves these churches or these people. And the reason I'm sharing this is because that's not why we should love one another either. When we start to love one another based upon some of these sort of external things like ethnicity or wealth or strengths and weaknesses, what do you think is going to happen to the way in which we love one another? It's going to ebb and flow based upon how well somebody may or may not be doing with those things and whether or not we like those things, whether or not we agree politically or not, whether we agree on how you school your kids or not, whether or not you agree on all sorts of these sort of worldly defining things that I'm not going to minimize in the sense of like they're important. I trust that God's at work 
in those things, but that's not primary. That's not what defines Sovereign Grace Church, and that's not what defines these churches, and that's not what John thinks about when he says, I love you. I love you in the truth, meaning I love you because of the gospel. I love you because I've been saved by faith in Christ alone, and you've been saved by faith in Christ alone. Christ shed his blood for you. He shed his blood for us. These relationships exist, and they transcend all those other things I just mentioned and all that you could even think of, because this is what's most important about these relationships. Jesus, he died for you. He died for us. Body was broken. Blood was shed. And and it's out of that truth, the good news of Jesus, that, that his love grows, that his affections for these people increase. And not just him, but all the other brothers and sisters who've been saved by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. And so what we want to see here is that these relationships are rooted and grounded in the gospel. And I think we have to fight really, really hard to keep it that way. Because we're going to interact with one another in lots of different ways. And I guarantee you're going to hear things that you don't like from, one, from people in this room. You're going to see people do things and you're going to think, I don't know if I would do that. I don't think that's the wisest way to do that. And you might be offended by them. Well, well, what do you do in that situation? How do you work through those things? Does it affect the way in which you love that brother or sister who's been saved by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone, who's seeking to pursue Christ? It might be a little bit behind you. It might be over here a little bit, but they're, they're all trying to work towards that. And what John would say is, is, is our love for one another, it, it grows out of the gospel. And we have to fight to keep that at the center of our thinking when we think about one another. See, these relationships will endure throughout eternity. And John closes out this greeting. And again, it's just a, just a simple little greeting, just chock full of truth, though, isn't it? And love. But he closes it with some encouragement. Verse 3, he says, grace, mercy, and peace be with us from God the Father and from Christ the Father's Son in love and truth. These are three really important things that are present in every believer's life every single day, but we forget about it. Or sometimes we don't think they're present, but what John wants you to know is that God's grace and his mercy and his peace are with us. They're with us because it's based upon who God is and what he's done for us through his son, Jesus Christ. And so if you're a believer, these things are present in your life. You may not feel it, but they're there. That's why John, he just begins this letter. Grace, mercy, and peace be with us. David Allen in his commentary writes this in defining these three words. He says, grace describes all that God has done for us in Christ that we did not deserve. Grace describes all that God has done for us in Christ that we did not deserve. We didn't deserve to be forgiven. But in Christ we are forever forgiven. Past, present, 
future sins all forgiven. Why? Because you didn't deserve it. You didn't do anything to sort of merit that. That's why we call it grace. It's a gift. Mercy is is God not giving us all we deserve. Mercy is God not giving us all we do deserve. So what do we deserve? Well, we sin and we fall short of the glory of God. We deserve His wrath. We deserve to be punished by God for our sins, yet He is merciful towards us. He doesn't treat us the way we deserve to be treated. Sometimes we think He's treating us the way we deserve to be treated, but He's not. The fact that we're still breathing is evidence of that. We have a God who's very gracious and He's very merciful. And He's given this grace and this mercy to us every day. And he says, peace, peace is the resulting state we have with God and with others that results from the application of God's grace and mercy in our lives. Christ has purchased this peace for us. Having died on the cross for all of our sins so that we would be forever forgiven, declared righteous, and and brought into a right relationship with God so that when we sin, we repent and we trust fully in Christ, we can approach God because we approach Him not on our own merit, not because we've been really good today or because we've been really bad today, but because Christ was perfect in our place. And He died a death on a cross for our sins, and He purchased this peace. And so when we wake up as believers and we live out our lives, even right now, what we're experiencing is God's grace and His mercy And his peace. And this is meant to encourage these readers. And it's meant to encourage us as well. This leads us to our second thing that we learn here. And that's we must walk in the truth. We must walk in the truth. Verse 4, John writes, he says, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth just as we were commanded by the Father. Apparently, John had been able to see some of the people that he was writing to, some people from these churches or this church, and what he encountered when he saw them were men and women who were actually living out their faith. He he saw believers, he saw Christians picking up a cross and following Jesus, and, and it brought him great joy to run into them or see them in some way and watching them walk in the truth. See, walking in the truth means that they were actually living out their faith in Jesus, or what I like to say here sometimes, they were living in the good of the gospel. They were picking up that cross, and their eyes were on Christ, and they were, they were moving in that direction. Their faith was not in name only. It looked like something. It looked like them actually following Jesus by obedience to him, or David Allen and his commentary, he said, these believers were behaving Christianly. Well, what does that mean? How how do you answer that? Again, go back to that question. What is a Christian? What does it mean to behave Christianly? Again, I think we, we all have an answer to that. How does a Christian behave? I bet if we were to just take some time and break up into some small groups, we'd all kind of be able to come together and put together this list of, well, Christians do this, and Christians 
don't do these things. And so then we begin to define a Christian like this and not like this. But I, I bet, I bet we, we'd get into a debate at some point. We just would. We all have different backgrounds. Some of us are Baptists here. I, I'm not Baptist. I, I tell all of you I didn't grow up bad. I grew up Lutheran. I didn't grow up in the South. I grew up in Michigan. Got saved, moved to Virginia Beach, came here, always been a sovereign gracer. And sovereign gracers kind of have their way of describing this is what Christianly look like. And as their Baptist friends have an idea of this is what Christianly looks like. It happens in my community group. We start talking about things, and I guarantee this happened in our last community group. Hope you guys don't mind me sharing. What, what comes up a lot is drinking and cussing. And I just think, those must be really important to Baptist people. And I get it. I've been around the block a little bit. But, but the, we all have ideas, like, how can a Christian's language be, and we define it a certain way. And so Christians speak this way. They can never say these words. And if they do, they've got to be a tamed-down version of this word. And it's got to be used in this way. And alcohol, that's a whole different story. And I'm not preaching on that today. All I'm trying to say is, we all have an idea of what Christianly looks like. And we define it. And when we define it, especially in unbiblical ways, what we end up doing is we end up dividing people where God has not called us to divide people. Because we set these boundaries on one another and say, well, this is Christianly and this is not. So I think it's best just to let John sort of guide us in what Christianly behavior looks like in this context. And here's what he says. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. Believers who behave Christianly walk in the truth, walk in the good of the gospel, by loving one another according to God's commandments. And he says, this is not a new commandment. He's not making something up. This is one that they've had from the beginning when they first heard of Christ, when they first surrendered their lives to Jesus. The call has always been to love one another, to pick up a cross, to deny yourself, to consider the interest of those around you, to die to self for the good of the people around you. This love that we're to have for one another, it, it's, it's not so much a feeling of affection for one another that can kind of come and go depending on the situation. It really is a, an, it's an act of selflessness. It's an act of sacrifice for the good of others in every situation. It's a death to self. It's an eagerness to serve those around you for their good. True love is walking, as John says, in obedience to God and his ways that he's laid out for us in Scripture. And so uh, this means that loving others might look like this. And I don't use might in a kind of like maybe if you want to. This, this is what I think loving others looks like. Here's a few examples. It means you treat others as you wish to be treated. Not because I told you, but because in Luke 6.31 we're called... To treat people that way. God's word communicates to us and calls us to treat others as we'd like to be treated. 
It means we love enemies. Just look up Luke 6. It's radical. Somebody steals your sweatshirt, you give them your shirt. Somebody abuses you, you pray for them. That's what Luke 6 teaches us. It means that we consider the interests of others better than our own as we're called to in Philippians, as we're called to have the mind of Christ. As we're seeking to walk in humility before God and others and not be proud and insist upon our own way all the time. No, it's a death to self. Genuine love for others means you're going to be dying to yourself a lot. Laying down your own interests, considering others' interests better than your own. Or as we're called to in Mark, we're called to serve. As we seek to follow Christ, he came to serve and not be served as he gave himself up as a ransom for many. And the call for us is to, is to follow him by laying down our lives and serving the people around us. Just think about your own life right now. Do you like to serve? Do you have a heart to serve people? Not to get something, but just to give. Do you find joy in in just exhausting your resources for the good of others, knowing you may never get anything back? If you do, be encouraged. You're loving people. You're acting Christianly. It means... As kids, we're called to obey our parents. If we're going to love people around us by obeying God, then then we're called to obey our parents in the Lord for this is right. And so kids, if you really want to love your mom and dad, it looks like obeying the Lord. And this means for us as parents that we're we're not going to exasperate our kids. Because God calls for us not to exasperate our kids. It means if You're a wife. God's called you to love your husband in this way, by honoring him, respecting him, submitting to him. That's what love looks like. It looks like dying to self. And if you're a husband, this means you're going to love your wife as your own body. You're going to love her as Christ loved the church. It means you're going to die to self. Can you imagine a marriage like that? We have husband and wife both dying to self every day. It looks like the gospel. The mystery of the gospel on full display. It looks like love. It means if you're in a relationship right now with anybody who's not your wife or your husband, it means you're going to walk in purity because God calls for us to pursue holiness in these relationships, to be pure. So if you want to you walk out your relationship in a way that honors the Lord, it looks like you're going to treat your girlfriend or your boyfriend or whatever it is you want to call them with purity. It means we're going to speak words, like Ephesians 4.29 calls for us to speak towards one another. Words that give grace, words that build up, words that fit the occasion, words that don't corrupt. So in the context of the church, what that means, if we're going to love one another in the church, that means we're going to speak encouragement to one another. We're probably not going to do a lot of gossip. We're probably not going to do a lot of slandering because those words corrupt, those words break down, those words destroy. Those words are sin. And see, love looks like obedience to the Lord's command. It means that when we do get into conflict with others, and we will, it means we're going to be quick to pursue reconciliation. We're going to be quick to ask for forgiveness, and we're going to pursue one another. And on the flip side, when people sin against us, what do we do? 
Well, obedience to the Lord looks like forgiving one another. And so love, love what John's teaching us here. It's not a new commandment. Love, love is, is obedience to the Lord. It's sacrificial. It's death to self. And this is one of the things I've learned about love over the years is that, is that love, love always moves towards people. And, and where I get that from is you just think, so God so loved the world, what did he do? Just think about the gospel. If we're going to live in the truth and we're called to love people, it says God so loved the world, he gave his only son. So he, what did he do? He moved towards us. He didn't wait for us to move towards him because we couldn't. He moved towards us. And so I think as you're working through the relationships you have with one another, and conflict is inevitable, if we're going to genuinely love one another in this context, again, remember, he's talking to a church here. What that means is is we're going to intentionally move towards one another. You know that feeling you get like, oh, I don't want to see that person. I hope that person doesn't show up today or, Maybe I can sneak in. Maybe they didn't see me and you sneak out like that feeling. Or if you're married, you're just like kind of ignore each other for a little bit until you actually have to go to bed together and you got to kind of roll in the middle. And it's like at some point you got to look each other and say, oh, I do see you today. You guys know what I'm, if you're married, you know what I'm talking about. Well, that happens in the church too, doesn't it? But because you don't live in the same house, you can actually go weeks without seeing each other because you're sort of a little angry or bitter towards people. Well, that wouldn't be love. When you feel that, and you feel that temptation to avoid, I think John, you can hear John saying, move towards them. Love one another. Don't stop loving one another. Walk in the truth. Walking in the truth looks like us pursuing one another, genuinely loving one another. You see, this is important. That's why we're beating this dead horse, so to speak. Because what happens to a church or a marriage or a relationship where there's no love in it? There is no relationship. And there is no church. It divides people. And it divides people quickly. So church, let us walk in the truth. Let us genuinely love one another by seeking to be obedient to the ways in which God has called us to walk out our faith. Which leads us to our third point. We must embrace the truth and reject the lies. In this section, John issues us a warning about false teachers and their teaching as he commands us to watch ourselves so that we remain in the truth. Verse 7, he says, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourself so that you may not lose what we've worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. So in John's day, there was false teachers. Now, we've been at 1 John reading about some of this stuff. So there's people who were denying the deity of Christ and everything in between, so to speak. And so what, what he's getting at here and the application for us, I think, is, is you've got to pay attention to what people are teaching. 
specifically, what do they say about Jesus and who he is? Because if you get Christ wrong, like these false teachers were getting wrong, what happens to our faith? If Jesus isn't who he says he is in God's word, then what hope do we really have for the forgiveness of sins? If he's not fully God and fully man, having lived a perfect life in our place and dying a sacrificial death for all of our sins, if that's not who he really is, then what are we believing in? If our hope is not in him alone for our salvation, then then what's our hope in? And what John is saying is watch yourself. Pay attention to the people around you and the things you're reading and the stuff you're listening to and the people who claim to be believers. Make sure what they're teaching is true. Don't, Don't entertain false teachers. Don't bring them into your house. Well, in this case, it'd probably be, don't listen to their podcast. Don't, don't buy their book. Don't, don't, don't tell your friends to listen to their podcast. Don't support them in this way, because when you do, what are you supporting? That's what he's getting at here. He said, watch yourself, pay attention. Don't lead anybody else astray. Don't invite them into your life and then send them out into other people's lives if they're false teachers. So pay attention. Watch yourselves. Pay close attention to what they have to say and reject false teaching. I think one of the biggest false teachings we have to pay attention is just legalism. People who want to add to Jesus, who want to say, okay, yeah, this is who it is. We, We trust in Jesus, fully God, fully man, perfect life, died on the cross for all of our sins and believe in him and do this thing. And it's subtle, I think, in our day. It's subtle. It shows up meaning like, okay, if you really want to be a Christian, you believe in Jesus and you school this way. You you believe in Jesus and and again, you listen to this music or you don't listen to that music or you, you drink this and you don't drink that. It's just subtle things we like to do because they seem to work for us and we push them on other people and we say that, well, this is the wise way to do things. And again, it's subtle, but our only hope for salvation is in Jesus Christ and him alone. It doesn't mean we don't do things. We don't pursue wise things, but we don't press those things on others as if they are the thing, because the thing is Jesus Christ alone. This leads us to our fourth and final point, and this is a short one, and I'm so glad this is in our text. The truth is we need to see one another face to face. Took a little liberty here in that point, but I think it's here. Verse 12, it says, Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. And so this is a short letter. It's 13 verses. And John is an old man. And I don't know if you've noticed this. The older you get, the temptation to talk more takes place. Like you just feel like you got to say things. And you can write a lot of things. And you got to, I'm sure John had a ton of things he could have said to them and protected them. But he just said, you know what? I don't, I don't want to waste paper and ink. I've told you what I need to tell you because what I'm most eager about is seeing you face to face. What I'm most eager about is spending real time with you. 
recognizing that, that words on paper sent over a distance to somebody else, they, there's some good in that. But they're not as good as this. They're not as good as looking each other in the eye. David Allen said this, Distance sometimes make written communication necessary. But no amount of smiley faces attached to a sentence in an email or a text can take the place of the warm smile of a human face. Ink cannot put an arm around someone's shoulder and console, encourage, or rebuke. There's no substitute for personal Christian fellowship. We all need each other in the local church. See, I don't know that we, we really recognize this enough. Really, just what, what God's doing. And you're going to see this. I'm going to ask you to, to do this in, in a moment when I just pray and we dismiss. But, but take time to look other people in the eye and smile. Greet them. Put an arm around them. That's not to say texts aren't great. It's fun to get those sporadically. Hey, good to see you. How was things going? Blah, blah, blah. But this is different. When you gather together with brothers and sisters like we've been called to, God is doing something. And I would say a lot of times what he's doing, he's building us up. He's encouraging us. Because when I look around this room, and what I hope you see is, is this is who we're running the race with. And a lot of times we don't really recognize it until something goes wrong. When we need people, and we, when we, we miss a Sunday or two, and you show back up, and all of a sudden it's like, man, that was good. Like, I love being outside this summer, but when we come back in here, it's something different. To be in this context and to, and to be this close and to hear voices. Same with community group. We took the summer off, and if you would have came to our first community group, it was almost like we hadn't seen each other in months, even though we did, but we didn't see them in that context. It was just exciting to be around everyone. Because we're family. These relationships are eternal. And they're meant to be face-to-face relationships. There's room for some distance once in a while, but but these relationships are meant to be face-to-face. There's something God does. May we not ever neglect meeting with one another. May we not get in the habit of, of taking Sundays off for the sake of taking Sundays off. See, I think what we learn here in a subtle way is it's just, you can take a Sunday off, but you're missing something, and then we're missing something. Because we're the body, we're called to be together. It's easy to want to take the day off, isn't it, once in a while. I experience it almost every Wednesday. i got to go to community group. And I, like, literally, my community group meets 10 houses up the street. And for some reason, at about 6.30, I'm just like, I'm tired. I'd rather do something else. My wife forces me to go, and I get there, and I love it. I love seeing these guys. I love listening to what God's doing in their lives. And it's very ordinary. But all those meetings built up over time, all that ordinary stuff, it spurs me on. It brings me joy. See, we miss out on that when we miss these things. We're called to meet face to face. We're called to be a means of encouragement to one another. So let us never neglect it. Let us live in the truth. Let us embrace the truth. And church, let's beat that dead horse. Let's love one another. 
Let's love one another like Christ has loved us. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. And we ask that you would just, again, bury it deep in our souls. Lord, that we might honor and glorify you in the way in which we live out our lives in this local church. Or that we would genuinely love one another. We'd work through conflict. We, would, we wouldn't let disagreements and, and conflicts go unresolved. But Lord, we would, we would pursue reconciliation. We would let love call, cover a multitude of sins. That as we live in the truth of the gospel, Lord, we'd be amazed at the ways in which you have forgiven us and loved us and pursued us. And it would affect the ways in which we treat the people around us. That we'd be kind, merciful, generous, sacrificial towards one another. Lord, would you please pour out your spirit upon us that this would be true in abundance in this church. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being here. Um, before we leave, again, just a reminder, if you don't mind helping to pick up the chairs, you can just set them against the side. Um, and with that, may the Lord bless you. May he pour out his grace upon you. Have a great Sunday.